In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I said, oh boy, because this movie, like, doesn't give you a lot to reflect upon or to ask about, and what it does give you is deeply concerning, and yeah. I didn't want to start on a deeply concerning note, <laughs> um, but the, so... So I'll say this, like for the sake of transparency, the deeply concerning note was me going to ask you a question about what you think the worst mistake in your life is and what would you have to atone for based on how this movie describes things, Um, which really is not fun content for anyone. Um, And then the lighter note question I've come up with is... Do you hope that there is an afterlife? Oh, God. Um, yeah. I do, I guess. Um, but I don't... Uh, but I don't know what I want it to be. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have a clear vision of what I feel like, you know, I don't want to like sit on a cloud all day, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) or, you know, like, but I also don't want to push a rock up a hill. Right. Right. These are your two ideas of what the afterlife could be. (laughs) Those are like the two things I can think of that, like, I feel like we know in popular culture, but... I guess if you could choose your afterlife, I mean, if afterlife, okay, we talk a lot about the good place, I feel like, but if afterlife could be kind of like the good place, the version that they land on in that show Mm -hmm. at the end, I'd be down with that. And I, yeah, but I don't know that I believe that that is what truly exists. Well, right. I mean, that's why I phrased this as I did. Is not like, do you believe there's an afterlife? What do you think it's like? But do you just have hopes that there might be such a place um, or such a thing that happens? Um, because this movie yeah. revolves around the notion that there is something, I think. Yeah, I have... I guess I have a hope. I guess the whole life would seem pretty dark if we, I think, without at least, like, the sliver of hope. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, 
that, you know, when life ceases here, that it's just literally nothing done and darkness and, um, but I definitely wouldn't go out of my way to like prove it (laughs) while I'm here. If I can, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's to be determined and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with the mystery of not knowing, I guess. Yeah. I don't even know if I hope for an afterlife. Um, Yeah. I mean, it also depends on when you die too, because right, like if I died now in my life, I feel like I'd want like a little bit more time. Sure. Sure. (laughs) I feel like maybe I'd want some more time to like sit in an afterlife in like paradise or something. But. So like a certain amount. five. A certain amount of lying around on a cloud you're into. Right. <laughs> right. But not like a literal cloud, like in the <laughs> sky, just like sitting on a cloud, a.k.a. a couch or something, you know, like, I don't know, like a little bit of paradise. If, okay, also say that it's, you know, you die younger and you still feel like there's stuff that you haven't experienced or stuff that you sure. haven't seen. Maybe you could do that in the afterlife. If you die when you're 95... And not to say that everyone who dies when they're 95, like, has experienced, like, everything they want. But I feel like I might be more ready. probably at peace with it. Yeah, I might be more ready to be, like, I'm good with it just being, like, full blackout from here. (laughs) 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 Right? I don't know. I mean, I'm not 95 and I'm not dying. I don't know. But. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I don't think I do hope for an afterlife. Certainly not whatever we've been told it would be. Um, And I guess a a very literal person would say, well, there is an afterlife in the sense that, like, your body decomposes and then those components find their way into other forms of life and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, And then there's, like, the people that believe in reincarnation and then there's, like, the soul never dies and, like, there's ghosts and there's – and to be honest, like, I don't know out of that what I do believe. (laughs) I feel like I'm pretty fluid in my beliefs of all of that. Even just – yeah. Life and the whole – the death – everything that surrounds death is very – open for interpretation yes and I mean and that even is I think a good window into the subject matter of this week because when I was thinking about the movie this morning and in anticipation of this question I was like is what they even find actually the afterlife like I think the movie wants us to believe that it is but I'm not sure that it is. And I and I'm not yeah, and I'm not sure I get what the hell they're trying to do in this movie. I'll be real honest. Like I didn't. <laughs> I did <laughs> like, not I, get it. <laughs> and not even I don't think I got it like I just didn't. I was like I really like at almost every point in the movie I was like, why are they doing this? Like mm. why don't they just stop doing that? Like um yeah. Yeah, it's a weird one. So, welcome everyone to See You Next Week in Space. I'm Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my sister and co-host, Amy Walsh. And Amy, why don't you tell our good listeners what we're discussing this week? 
Yeah, so we are discussing a movie from 1990 called Trench Coats Are Us. <laughs> um, <laughs> otherwise known as Flatliners. Featuring famous trench coat wearer <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. I felt like they were all wearing trench coats. Even when they weren't, I felt like they all looked like they were wearing trench coats. Definitely Kiefer Sutherland and Julia Roberts were very trench coat oriented in this movie, for sure. Um, yeah, Flatliners. 1990, not to be confused, and per our various troubles, I clarified to you when I said this, I was like, not the 2017 version, the 1990 version um, of this yeah, movie. Yeah, I do appreciate the <coughs> clarification because I'm sure I would have done the wrong thing. Um, Who's in the 2017 version? I'm about to look it up. Um, I know Elliot Page is one of them, but I can't oh, remember maybe I would like that one. who else is in the mix. Um, yeah. But Kiefer Sutherland! Oh, right, he is. I remember reading that, that he is in the remake um, as oh. himself. From this movie. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, besides Elliot Page, I don't really like any of these other people, but um, interesting. Anyway, yeah. that's not the one we watched. <laughs> it is not the one we watched. So the one we watched, according to IMDb, is five medical students experiment with near-death experiences until the dark consequences of past tragedies begin to jeopardize their lives. And what you can't see, listeners, is that in this IMDb description, near death is in quotation marks. And I would agree with that because, again, my, I guess my overarching thesis statement about this movie is I'm not sure that the experiences they have are near death experiences. Like, they seem very oh. strange in terms of, like, like the kind of oh like what they see oh that part yeah cuz they do well i guess we'll talk about it but like they do all technically die when they're doing their right. like experiment thing right but we're talking about the near death part is what their visions are or right. whatever like the visions that they okay. have when they're dead and then the repercussions mm-hmm. of those things when they're alive again Okay. I I'm like I don't I don't know. It just doesn't something about yeah. this like we'll talk about it. Um yeah, yeah. So there uh, lately I feel like maybe I'm just choosing the wrong things, but like this movie as well as some of quite a the, lot of the other stuff we've watched lately has very little um about it in any of the various places I usually look for research. <laughs> um this was shot on the Loyola University of Chicago campus. Um, mm. and, and it was a pr- kind of pretty campus. I'll say, it I'll was. That. It was a really lovely campus. And I, even when they were sh- look like showing their neighborhoods and all the different apartments they lived in, I was like, I can't tell if this is like Philadelphia or Detroit mm-hmm. or Chicago. Yeah, I was I had like, no clue. I could tell that it was especially because it's 1990, I'm like, I can tell that this is one of those cities that at the time was, like, not even gentrified yet. Like... Yeah. Um, or Baltimore, even. Like, all the... It mm-hmm. had that thing of, like, 
we this used to be a nice neighborhood because it's near the medical school. So that's where all the medical students are living there. But there's like a decrepitude to this now <laughs> that has come in. So I like I, I thought it could have been yeah. any of those cities, but it turned out to be Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. Now, unsurprisingly, when we talk about the cast, this will make sense. This debuted at number one um, on the weekend that it opened in August 1990. Um, it was yeah. at the top of the box office. I think from what I gathered, like probably only that weekend, like that very opening weekend and not subsequently. <laughs> and then people were like, meh. <laughs> well, people were probably still seeing it, but it wasn't like, it just didn't turn out to be the thing that I, people seemed to want because that's what that's the last little bit I have here is that the critical response to this was, meh, it's okay. You know, like, yeah. Um, and most of the, be- go on. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, like, we'll obviously (laughs) talk about this at the end, but that was sort of my feeling about it, too, to be honest. Like, with, you know, with the cast and with what is a kind of interesting premise, I, it still felt off. Yeah. Or it still felt like it fell short. Yeah, Um, and that's, like... um, the general vibe from what I was getting on the, on, like, on the Wikipedia page and all that stuff is that um, everyone was like, yeah, you've got this great cast and this premise is kind of interesting, but, like, at the end of the day, this isn't a particularly good movie. Like, um... Right. And... And, and it's one of those anomaly things where, like, all this stuff should work, but it just doesn't... Like, it's the execution or it's, yeah. like... I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's too well put together to be called a bad movie that you can enjoy for its badness, but it doesn't ever cross the line into being good. And you're just like, hmm, well, I, that was some time I spent with that movie. Um, (laughs) And that is all. And now it's over. Um, And like, you said there's a remake in 2017, um, which suggests that there was kind of a fondness for this movie. Um, yeah. Or I may- be, go on. I might be sort of curious. I was just going to say, I might be sort of curious to watch it, just like out of like pure curiosity. Maybe not like the whole thing, but just to like see what the vibe is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I guess like... I can think of sort of two reasons why a remake would be something people would think about is first and foremost, like, you know, this, this wasn't a great movie, but it did well in the box office and it always had, like, I remembered watching this a long time ago and I was like, oh, and it had always been on my list of stuff to watch for this movie. Cause I was like, it's kind of mad scientist E and yeah, I was like, okay, we'll do this. So I think there was like kind of, at least for some people, a bit of maybe nostalgia or, like, name recognition Mm -hmm. around it. Um, Sure. So that's, like, one kind of compelling reason to maybe give it another try. But as well, it's like, oh, maybe if we remake this, we can fix whatever's wrong, you know, like, in the first one. And maybe that's, we can find some way to, like, make it compelling, Um, which I've not watched the remake, so I don't know if that actually turned out to be true or not. <laughs> you don't know if they were successful. No. 
Um, in terms of the main thing that is important about this movie, the thing that really gets people into it is the cast, which was like top-notch young Hollywood of the moment. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of holding down the ensemble cast is a character called Nelson Wright, played by a 24-year-old Kiefer Sutherland, um, obviously son of Donald Sutherland, who I didn't know Donald Sutherland is Canadian. Um, I always think of him I as an American either. treasure. Um, <laughs> but he is Canadian. Um, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's first credit was in 1983. Um, and by 1990, he was a massive star. Um, he was in, one of his super early roles was in Stand By Me, um, as like one hmm. of like kind of the bad older teenagers. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't watched that movie in a zillion years, so... Yeah, he's not, like, the little boy, like, Will Wheaton and Corey Mm. Feldman and River Mm. Phoenix and Jerry... O'Connell? Yeah, he's not them, but he's, like, one of the older boys who kind of torments them. Oh, okay, okay. Um, He's in The Lost Boys. Uh, He's in Young Guns, like all those like kind of quintessential like young Hollywood Mm. things of the mid to late 80s. Um, More recently, he was in stuff like 24. He also appears Mm -hmm. in the remake of this movie as himself, or not as Kiefer Sutherland, but as Nelson Wright. <laughs> That'd be funny if he played, played Kiefer Sutherland. He was like, hey guys, so I was in the original of this movie, and I just thought I'd come back, uh, you know, to brief you on how, yeah. how this works. That'd um, be funny, actually. And he's also now in, like, a very brand new thing that Amazon Prime keeps telling me I want to watch called Rabbit Hole, um, which I have oh, no okay. real notion what that's about, but he's huh. around. Um, okay. Then we have a character called David Labraccio, uh, played by a 32-year-old Kevin Bacon with some of the best... You can't go through his credits because he's been in literally everything. Well, and he, he in this movie especially, like, if this is the trench coat... He's peak Kevin Bacon. ...movie, he is peak Kevin Bacon. He's got the floppiest yeah. of floppy hair that you'd want that's, like, yeah. somehow long and somehow short. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's closer like, it's to long. It's closer to long than it's, it is to short, but it's not fully long hair either, in yeah. my opinion. It's like '90s hair, like that's yeah. how I would describe yeah. it. I mean, everyone had '90s hair in this movie, which first of all means they have so much yeah. of it. They have so much A hair, lot of it. and it's just doing yeah. all kinds of amazing stuff. His, I would be curious, like, what his hair routine was at this stage because, like, I know that it's supposed to look like his hair just falls like that, but I don't know if I believe that because it's very, like, quaffed. Yeah. Like, it, it, it does a whole, like, floopy thing. Yeah. In, it's, like, in the front. It's perfectly set up so that, like, every time he moves his head, it shifts around magically. Yeah. And, like, every time he pulls his hand through his hair, like, pulling it back, (laughs) it flops perfectly back down. Um, Now, okay, wait. This is my question that I always ask, just because I'm curious. Is he... (laughs) And maybe it's sillier with him, because it's more obvious, but is he... Do you think... Okay, I won't even ask that part. Do you specifically think he's... 
attractive. Oh God, this. why is this always your question? I'm curious. I'm just curious when someone is like supposed when you can tell that they're like supposed to be a heartthrob or like a sure. thing. I'm just curious sure. if like person to person if somebody agrees with that. Yeah. Um so I would say I find him generally attractive at all of his various phases of life. Um Okay. Though I'm looking at some photos of him now and like his um, footloose days are su- not my super fave. Um, okay. Because I don't really like the weird sort of haircut he's got in that vibe. But I would okay. say that this era of Kevin Bacon, because like uh, footloose is 84 and this is 90. Mm. And it also looks mm. like Tremors is also from 90. Um, mm. And that's more the era that I like because I do actually like him with this longer hair. Um Okay. So, yeah, I I was really, especially when he first, like, got on screen, for some reason I had, first of all, sort of forgotten he was in it. And then mm-hmm. was like, wow, he looks great. Um, <laughs> and it was not just, okay. it wasn't just, like, the he looks great when you see any actor when they're younger, right? Like, sure. even even if you don't necessarily think that they're for you in a romantic Capacity, you're like, oh, they look great because like it, that's from 35 yeah. years ago or whatever. Um, I, I get that, and I mean, he's still a pretty handsome man. Oh, I see. You don't like this short hair in Footloose, okay? Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm um, I'm more of a fan of him of this specific era, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like, I kind of, do I, I find like him attractive? Him, yeah, I kind of like him now, and not in an attractive like for me type of way maybe it's the he's doing more like horror-y stuff now in his older age and so I enjoy some of the stuff he's done more recently like that um yeah he's an attractive man I guess it's a silly question yeah I think um, most people would agree like um and he's not also just been in literally everything he is in a lot of stuff that's a definite um and he's married to Kira Sedgwick, and everything yeah. seems very nice for them, except that they got all their money taken away by Bernie Madoff back in that pyramid scheme. Did they? Yes. Oh, they were, were some they of the people oh. who got caught up in that and lost oh. money. Um, I also like his daughter. His daughter is in that movie called Smile, which is a horror oh, movie. Oh, I didn't I thought know she that. was good in that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then just to, like, fully round this out, so... His very first credit was in 1978, Animal House. Um, hmm. And some people forget that he's in that movie, but he's the little dweeby nerd in that movie. Oh, um, funny. Well, like, he's a fraternity boy nerd, so he, like, desperately wants to be in this oh. other fraternity. Um, okay. So he's in that. I then, don't think I've ever seen that movie. Uh, I don't think you would like it, but he is in no? it. No. I don't think it's, it's very humor. like I don't think it's your style of humor at all. <laughs> like at all. Really? Okay. I mean, I I have watched it a number of times and find it kind of like fun and funny. Um, but it's yeah, it's very well also at this stage in the game, it might just be described Super as a misogynistic problematic fave for a number yeah. of reasons. <laughs> like I could believe that. Um, yeah. But there are some funny parts that's like that capture college forever, which is why that um Jim Belushi poster is still up in people's dorm rooms now where he's got the <laughs> yeah. sweatshirt that says college while he's like 
fisting a handle of Jim Beam or whatever it is. Um, (laughs) But like my favorite part in that movie, truly, my favorite joke is Jim Belushi. They're having a toga party and... Is it Jim Belushi or John Belushi? John Belushi. Sorry, Jim Belushi is his brother who's terrible. Um, (laughs) uh, Not every Belushi is a good Belushi and that's (laughs) a setup for the Baldwin that we'll be talking about later. I can't wait to talk about that. Okay. Um, but so in this movie, John Belushi is in his toga, everyone's in their togas and, um, he, he's coming down the stairs and there's a guy with a acoustic guitar singing a stupid song. That's like, I gave my love a flower and like something, something. And as soon as John Belushi hears it, he pulls the guitar out of the guy's hand and smashes it into the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean. And as anyone who's ever been to a college party where an acoustic guitar gets pulled out, you know why he does that. Because you're like, fuck off, man. Like, I don't don't think, you know, the thing is. I want to hear your homemade song, and I don't want to hear it on your acoustic guitar. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that people bring out acoustic guitars at parties in college anymore because I think it is so uh, just everybody knows now. Like, I think there was a time (laughs) where people like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like it used, it maybe used to be cool or like people thought like this was cool, but like, I feel like it's now widely known that that's like not something. That is like a party killer. Like, I'm yeah. leaving. And that at a party, party, it's just like not appropriate. Listen, I love music and I love guitars and I love people who can play an acoustic guitar. I, I like, I'm down with it. At a party, it's not the right vibe. No, 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 no. Especially a college party. I mean, I think it still happens, but I'm so far yeah, out I of college. Probably. I don't know. But um, kids, weigh in. Let us know. Yeah, do, do tell us on the various social media platforms whether you like to play acoustic guitars at parties still. Um, of course, then in 1980, he's got Friday the 13th, 1984, Footloose, 1990. So same year as this movie is Tremors, um, which is another one that I, I, we may do in this podcast, but that might be more just of a straight up monster movie. Um, Later in the decade, mm. later in the 90s, we've got Wild Things and Hollow Man. Hollow Man, I think we probably will watch someday because that's his take on the Invisible Man. Um, yeah. And then, of course, like more recently, kind of everything, lots of stuff, he's around. Um, then we have Dr. Rachel Manis, played by 23-year-old Julia Roberts, Um so she had an even faster kind of rocket ship to the top because her very first credit is in 1987. And then... Oh, wow. Yeah, so 87 first credit. Then soon after is Mystic Pizza. Soon after that is Steel Magnolias is 1989. Pretty Woman comes out the same year as this one. Wow. Um, and then Sleeping with the Enemy is 91. Hook is 91. Um, my best friend's wedding, I want to say, is maybe 95 or 6. Um, yeah. Notting Hill, Runaway Bride, I, Aaron Brockovich. That's all like kind of late 90 into early 2000s. Um, you know, it's so strange. You mentioned all her movies, or not all her movies, but you mentioned I would never like characterize myself as a Julia Roberts fan. I don't dislike her, but I would never be like, 
I'm a fan of hers right. per se, but I pretty much love all those movies. <laughs> maybe not love. Maybe love is strong for all of them, but like I like all of those movies pretty well. Yeah. No, she was everywhere. That's like, I mean, yeah. Um and I I was reminded when I was thinking about Runaway Bride that in one of my earlier jobs where I worked at Media Play between my freshman oh and sophomore year God. of college, if you recall that time. I didn't remember that. Well, I, d- I, that's hilarious. Yeah. So that was media play, everybody. Oh, in case God. you're not a hundred years old. <laughs> that wasn't even, that's like not even a thing many other Americans would remember because it was like weirdly regional, that store. Well, that's the other, like, that's the other part I was just about to say was like, it's not like Sam Goody or, no. um, or a virgin, Even, what is, like a virgin um, megastore right. thing. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's like those wow. things in that it sold like books and videos and CDs. Like it's like them Mainly in that CDs. Sense. It was like mainly CDs. I yeah. Like. Um, but so wow, I worked in I there. You worked there. And that was the summer when Runaway Bride was coming out on VHS. Or I guess maybe DVD. <laughs> maybe it was DVD by then. I can't remember. Probably not, actually. Um, yeah. I and so we so. had this, like, poster that we were required to, to put up of Julia Roberts and Richard <laughs> Gere. And mm-hmm. I, that summer, I was like, my position on Julia Roberts is that I loathe her <laughs> like I yeah. just because she was so everywhere by that time that I was like yeah and and I and now I would say differently but at the time I was like is this woman even good at acting like I can't yeah tell I understand um, that I understand that and Runaway Bride of all of those ones is not my favorite right um like I would take Sleeping with the Enemy over that any day. Sure. And actually, I don't even know that I've watched Sleeping with the Enemy, to be honest. (gasps) Oh, you should. Yeah. I I, As soon as I wrote that down, I was like, I really got to get into that. Maybe I'll watch that tonight. Yeah, you got... Um, That's a good one. Because... That's a great 90s, like, whatever you want to call it, thriller. Like, thriller. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Cool. Um, Because I'll say this. Like, now, I actually think Julia Roberts probably always was, or, well... I think Julie Roberts has become a very good actress, but I don't actually think she was particularly good in some of those early films, but she just had so much, like, juice and steam around her that it was like, get her in your movie. Because, like, I watched watched My Best Friend's Wedding and Notting Hill again recently, Mm -hmm. and both of them I was like, first of all, this is a bad movie. And (laughs) second of all, I don't think, like, anyone could be in this role. Like, um... Well, yes, that's true. I mean, first of all, both of those movies, I would say there are, um, you know, uh, reality flaws. Oh, certainly that. (laughs) Um, it's... Neither of those movies are going to happen. But, like... Yeah, but they are also the characters she plays are people that a lot of people could play. Like there was nothing. It's memorable as her because she played them, but right. it could have been done by anybody else. Well, and I think at the time someone would say like, "Oh, my best friend's wedding." Like 
this character is unlikable, so we need someone like Julia Roberts to do it because mm. she's likable. And I'm like, I don't know, man. That's, like, I I don't know either because well, it's, that's one of those movies. <laughs> you go down a rabbit hole with this. That's one of those movies where like the I've watched it many times. Let's be real. And I waver between who I think is the villain in that movie, to be perfectly honest. Sure. When I was younger, I definitely thought it was Cameron Diaz. Sure. As I got older, I see it differently. Um, But also sometimes, like, Cameron Diaz is really annoying in that movie, too. Yes. um, Yes. So, like, it's one of those movies where, like, you do kind of hate everyone. Yes. But you, at the same time end up enjoying the movie <laughs> I, know. I don't know it's weird it's I know. weird it's a little I, bit weird because I literally just watched that in the past couple months and I had that very yeah. strange feeling of like I remember liking this whenever I last yeah. saw it which was easily 10 years ago you know or more and uh-huh. ne- then I was like oh I had a pleasant memory about this and then as I was watching it I was like hmm I remembered the yeah. premise of this movie and I knew it was problematic and now that I'm watching it it's real problematic. Like, it's really gotten bad. And then, as well, yes, it is a cast. It's just stupid. It's a cast of the main love triangle people. Every single one of them is unlikable. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, the, the most egregious part to me when I watched it more recently was the fact that she was, like, 28. That, yes. Like, I was, Oh, like, yes. <laughs> the fact that she was, like, my life romantically is fucking over. And I'm not even 30 yet. Like, I'm like, okay, babe, I'm staring down the barrel of my 42nd birthday. And (laughs) you're sitting here being like, I don't know if I'll ever find anyone again. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. And also the other, the other like kind of premise of the movie, I think we're just talking about my best friend's wedding today. (laughs) The other premise of, the other premise of the movie is something that I don't know if this exists anymore, but something that existed in like TV and movies in the 90s was the idea of if I'm not married by the time I'm blank age I'm just gonna like marry my friend and that's good enough yeah Yeah, um and the first of all the ages were were kind of whack on that like you know 28 I think again she says 28 in this movie if we're not married by the time we're 28 we're gonna marry each other what like, yeah, that's, that's also a, a very idea. arbitrary, like, what's 28? Who cares? Like, I would right. I would associate it more with, like, a milestone birthday. Like, even like though this sounds... Like, maybe, but, well, like... Well, but back then, I would have said, <laughs> if we're both 30 and unmarried, yeah. let's revisit. Like, But even that's, like, quite it's young. Still, I mean, it's still... Well, because now things have changed, even just in, like, right. one generation. Like, because that's, like, Gen yeah. X people. And they were, like, apparently freaking out about being married by the time they were 30. Um, but that being said, I, like, I do know people, even now, who, like, their 30th that? birthday rolls around. And it is, like, maybe they don't care about being married by 30, but like, but they want to be in a relationship. They want to if they haven't found their person. All of a sudden, they're like, "Get it fucking sorted out immediately." Yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, <laughs> and I get that to an extent. Like, uh, uh, nobody wants to feel alone. Nobody wants to feel like they're whatever. But like, uh, also, just marrying the idea of marrying somebody as a fallback 
or is like you're good enough or you're gay <laughs> like I mean it's just like it's really wild like that yes. does not like that will not serve you well <laughs> and because also the premise is I mean I guess it's nice that it's a both men and women but the premise is is that if you are unmarried past a certain age just fucking kill yourself like Right. And I'm just like, is that really like that your whole life will have no meaning so much so that you're willing to just marry some putts that you've been friends with for 12 years? Like, yeah, who like you're not even going to have a good life. Like you're not even going to be happy together necessarily. It's just like I can say that we are married. I do appreciate the notion that like marriage is probably as much. And this, I am saying, is an unmarried person. Um, But (laughs) marriage, to me, probably is at least as much about, like, companionship and having a friendship dynamic as it is about, like, passionate love or, like, romance or whatever. So so I do understand the idea of, like, well, we're friends. We've been friends for a long time. Maybe the romance thing... I mean, it is true. Romance thing is hard. um uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. one, maybe we would discover that we've loved each other the whole time. That's a whole genre of movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, yeah, like maybe we don't need that if we, like, because we're such good friends and, like, we would have a yeah. nice life, you know? Um, and maybe that's true, but, like, it just but seems... It's the very idea that you would make this pact... Based on an arbitrary age, because just the very thought of being alone was horrifying. I'm like, yeah, that is not the way to do this thing. <laughs> but yeah, yes, I the mean, age that, of everyone in that movie makes it all that's e- the way most egregious thing worse. Like, because like the, <laughs> yeah. the fact that like Cameron Diaz's character Kimmy is like gonna give up going to college. So that she can follow she's her. She's supposed to be like 22 in that movie. I don't even think she's 21 yet because there's a whole bit where she like technically oh. isn't allowed to drink. Like, I was oh. just like, what the fuck is this? Like. Yeah, that's really fucked up. Anyway, dark, that, thus concludes the My Best Friend's <laughs> Wedding portion of today's show. Um, oh, man. If this were a rom-com podcast, we oh. would have lots to say. Every episode would be four and a half hours long. <laughs> Especially if they were rom-coms from the 90s. Holy shit, I have oh, a lot to that say. That would be like an entire work day. That would be eight hours of content <laughs> that we would slowly have to like work through over a few episodes. Oh my god. Um, oh returning my god. to the land of flatliners, we then have a character called Joe Hurley, played by one of the other Baldwins, Billy Baldwin, 27, um, his first credit is even closer to when this comes out. His first credit is in 1989 in something called and The Preppy Murder, which I would Ooh. watch. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And also, the thing that I noticed about this was he was credited as William Baldwin. Yes. And when I saw William Baldwin on the screen, I was like... Do they mean Billy Baldwin? Is or is there like another Baldwin, or is this like someone who's not even related? No, it's it is. Well, as soon as you saw him, you knew he was part of the Baldwin yes, family. Yes, yes, like, yes. Yes. When I saw him, then I realized it um, was him. But and he, I would say, like, I mean, of course, Alec Baldwin is probably I would maybe the most attractive of the Baldwin brothers, and especially at that era, he might have been perceived as the best looking. Um, 
But Billy Baldwin in this movie was similarly, you know, like a heartthrobby type that would have gotten women to come to this. He yeah. also had good floppy 90s hair um, yes. in this. Um, he was then later, probably his big thing is that he was in Backdraft in 1991. Mm-hmm. That would have probably been his one of his main things. Um, he went on mm-hmm. to be, like, I was surprised because, like, I had sort of forgotten that a person called Billy Baldwin even existed. Um, <laughs> but then as soon as I saw his name, I was like, ah, oh, him. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. And he, and he, he has been... his time in the sun, I feel like. But he is, continues to be in a bunch of stuff. Like, oh, really? um, I'm not, I didn't do a scan to see, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's the Baldwin who actually has like the most credits of all of them. Mm. Um, he maybe has the most. I think probably Alec probably has the more impressive ones. Sure, but like, sure. Okay, okay, here's my question about them, the Baldwins. This is the Baldwin hour now. So, ranking. There's only three of them, right? Or are there I more? I think there... Well, there's three that are famous. There might be more uh, only that the are famous around. One. Do only the yeah. famous ones. Yeah. <laughs> only the famous ones. Rank one, two, and three of most attractive. Okay, hold on. Let me see. Um, I think it's probably pretty easy, but... I just want to make sure. Oh, so there are four ba- four Baldwin brothers. Oh. There's another one called Stephen. Um, oh, that's the one I was thinking of in my head. What's the fourth one besides so, Alec, Billy, and Stephen? Oh, Daniel. Daniel Baldwin. Oh. Oh, he oh, yeah, he him. looks... I totally recognize him. I think he has also acted. Yeah, he has. Um... Oh, interesting. Danny Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, Billy Baldwin, and Alec. Um, let's see. I would probably say... Oh, I mean, I feel like it's obvious. Yeah, I think Alec is at the top of the heap. Mm-hmm. Um, then I mm-hmm. might put... I think that I would put Billy and Stephen on the same number two spot. Um, interesting. Although, interesting. Although it would be in like it would be specific movies and eras of their life where I would rank them <laughs> similarly. Okay. Like okay. Because I'm so first of all, when it comes to this ranking, I'm doing this ranking based on their looks in the '90s. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm like trying to. Look, I'm looking at their Wikipedia pages, which I think are from much more recently, and. It's a bit of a yikes for all of them. To oh be yes, honest. they've but aged like, horribly. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah. I would put I would put Billy and Steven of the nineties basically on par, and then Danny at the bottom. Interesting. 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 Based on this photo I'm looking at, and I honestly don't know what year it's from. It's. It, for me, actually, I think it might be Billy, Alec, Stephen, Daniel. But just from this particular picture, I'm like, is it the one um, from InStyle called the Baldwin Family Tree? Probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because doesn't Billy look best in this one? Oh yeah, he picture? looks the best in that photo for sure. Absolutely, without yeah. a doubt. I mean, Danny is the clear, <laughs> ugliest one. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, although. <laughs> Yeah, no, I stick, I think for me, Alec's looks are more, because like, Alec and uh, Billy look quite similar to each other. They do. Um, But like, 
Billy's got more of a rat face quality to the looks <laughs> that... Uh, you know what I'm going to say that's probably, like, not PC is they all look... I probably shouldn't say that. And Oh, Stephen Baldwin, when he was younger, okay, I see one where he looks better. Yeah, like when he's um, in Biodome. Oh, my God, he's in Biodome. <laughs> yes, he is opposite Polly Shore in Biodome. <laughs> Oh my god. That's so funny. Um yeah, he's got lots of weird looks, but like to me they all look kind of like greasy at all times, which yes. probably isn't a nice thing to say. Yeah, there's a hair but, tonic problem that they seem to have. And they as all a family. Kind of look a little bit they all look like they've got like they all, quite frankly they all look like alcoholics to me and I don't know how to explain that, but sure. like Ooh, this picture of them when they're all young, though, I can see it. Like, where... And in that one, Alec is definitely the top. Okay. (laughs) Baldwin hour is now over. Um. Conclusion. (laughs) Definitively proven by facts and science that the most attractive Baldwin brother is indeed Alec with Billy... Young Billy and Steven soon after in the rankings. Sorry, Um, Daniel. Uh, sorry, Danny. Um, so I didn't even know you existed. So I, I kind of didn't know he existed either. I will say, so <laughs> Billy Baldwin, I just watched, um, that show that Netflix has been really, uh, spruiking called the, called Florida Man. Has it, has Netflix been telling oh, you about that yeah. one? Uh-huh. So Billy Baldwin is in that and he plays the dad of the main character in that. And my God, has Billy Baldwin aged poorly? Like... Um, yeah, they all really are are a little bit worse for the wear now. For yeah, sure. well, because they are the type of Irish guys who really chunk up, like <laughs> around the middle, and they look like alcoholics. Like, well, because it's it's the like, face. The face gets like paunchy and like jowly. Yeah, um, yeah. and like a little bit like red. Inf- yeah, inflamed, like flushed. Yeah, um, and they all got that. So some of yeah. them worse than others. Um, yeah. But, yeah, and it was wild, too, because I, like, watched this movie, and then I just chose Florida Man at random, and I'm watching it, and all <laughs> of a sudden I'm like, is that fucking Billy Baldwin? What the fuck? <laughs> like, here's a person I've not thought of in years. Age is a bitch. I've not thought yeah. of this person in years. And then I see him from 33 years ago and then present, and I was like, my God. Yeah, like, that's rough. That is just... Now, admittedly... In I the wouldn't sh- want the... In the show, he... I th- Like, I think he probably would clean up a lot nicer. You know, like, he'd still be... Probably. Like, heavier and stuff. Like, but he... In the show, he's meant to look like a kind of over-the-hill, partied-out guy. So a you're Florida like, man. okay, fair, fair enough. Like, um, yeah. But yeah, it was shocking to, like, just have this, like, double <laughs> Billy Baldwin whammy where I was like... What's happening? I never think about this guy. And now he's in everything I'm watching, apparently. (laughs) Um, And then finally, we have a character called Randy Steckel, played by 30-year-old Oliver Platt, um, who is another... He was, like, I would say the least uh, kind of name... Like, he wouldn't have been a name, I don't think, uh, in terms of draw for this Mm. movie. But I absolutely recognized him. Um, Yeah. And... 
I, I but then I was like, but I can't quite decide from where. Like he's um, in a lot of theater stuff, and I don't know if that's before or after this movie, but I know him from doing lots of theater things. Okay, because like. His first credit was also in 1987. He was um, in Working Girl and Benny and June, mm. uh, Lake Placid. Isn't Lake Placid a horror movie? <laughs> yeah, I think it's really yeah. bad, but um, uh, yeah. And then most recently, he's been in that TV show called Chicago Med. He's been in that for like a thousand mm. years or something. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And that rounds out our cast. And I think what he's supposed to be, I think... Oliver Platt's role in this movie is he's maybe meant to be comic relief. Interesting. Sort of. Not that Well, he definitely isn't. Like he's definitely not the of the four dudes. Are there four of them? Yeah. Um he's definitely like not the one that's there for the looks. No offense. No. Platt, no, he like, absolutely isn't. It's just like delivering. Very clear. Yeah, he's not delivering on that at all. Um <laughs> so when we arrive to this movie, um, it starts as many a good 90s thriller would where it's like just kind of abstract architecture and like artworks <laughs> and you're like, I don't know what's happening. What am I seeing? Um, it turns out that in fact, that's the exterior of um, the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. Um, oh. And then we get this kind of like riverfront, like flying shot over the river that then ends up closing in on good old Kiefer Sutherland, um, who's staring at the sunrise and says, "It's a good today is a good day to die." Um, Yikes! So it's got it starts strong. It starts with a like wow wow wow, what's happening? Um, yeah. Then we get slightly more like what's interesting here is I would say this movie basically has no exposition. At all. Yeah, I really I really was confused uh, for a good bit, like, how these characters knew each other, like, what the fuck they were. Like, I, it took me, and I'm still not sure if I know. Yeah, because, like, Julia Roberts, then we get into this thing that I guess, like, you work out, it's a hospital. Julia Roberts is talking with um, some patients about near-death experiences, um... I recognize and, that lady from Criminal Minds. Oh, the lady who was telling her story about her stillborn baby or whatever it was? I think so. Yeah, it was whoever that, like, original patient was at the very first scene. Yeah. Um, so they're talking about that. She's taking notes. Then a bit later, um, they're all in this same classroom together. But it's like a classroom, but it's also like a temple. Like, I'm like, what medical school has this type of facility? They were in a church all the time. I was so confused by that. And that was, that's the place that I just started calling old building, like where they did their experiments. Because I couldn't describe, I couldn't figure out what to call it. But like this scene is where they're all like with those cadavers and like their teacher is saying like, do this like incision such and such such and such oh and like all the different cadavers are like arranged in a circle but the room that they're in is like a room with like murals on the walls and like a mosaic floor and i'm like yeah i've not i've not been to medical school but i have a feeling that this is not (laughs) like a standard place where 
medical school lessons occur. Like, this seems well, very weird. The, I will say there's, again, not to, like, harp on the 90s, but I feel like there's, like, there is a very specific 90s look to colleges, if that makes sense. Mm. Like... I know that, like, when I watched shows as a young, like, a person who hadn't been to college yet in the 90s, that I was, like, excited for, like, how cool college looked based on, like, the old, like, weird, creepy buildings, like, giant dorm rooms, like, all of that stuff that doesn't actually exist in college. Yeah. So I feel like it's this weird, like, 90s aesthetic about colleges. I don't know. But I definitely was confused about it in this movie. Yeah, it's like they're all in the same... So, like, you're working very hard to figure out that, like, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Bacon, Julia Roberts, Billy Baldwin, and Oliver Platt are all in the same medical school class. Um, Yeah. And specifically that Kiefer Sutherland is, like, in the process of they're doing... I can't tell if they're meant to be doing an autopsy or if... Like, you know, I assume in medical school you work on dead bodies anyway before you go to live ones. So, like, you know, I don't know. Yikes. Um, but, like, Nelson, a.k.a. Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, is trying to convince all of them to participate in some sort of an experiment that night. Um, later on, he comes to uh, Kevin Bacon's house because earlier in the day, Kevin Bacon had been expelled from school um because mm-hmm. he made I love that you're calling them by the actor's name because I literally didn't know what any of their names were in this movie. I it took me a very long time to figure out names and then I'm also I've decided to just call them by their real names because the movie doesn't care. Yeah. Like, the movie is like you like we're calling this person Nelson but that you know this is Kiefer Sutherland. Like that's why you're right. here at this movie. <laughs> like, um, right. We can pretend all we like that this isn't Billy Baldwin having sex with a lot of women, but it is Billy Baldwin <laughs> having sex with a lot of women. So that is why we are here for that reason. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So Nelson, uh, so yeah, Kiefer Sutherland is trying to convince Kevin Bacon to participate in this experiment, but Kevin Bacon is upset because he's gotten expelled from school. But this is where we learn that supposedly, like, Kevin Bacon is, like, one of the best ones in the class. So he, like, really needs his help. Meanwhile, (laughs) back at Billy Baldwin's apartment, Billy Baldwin is having sex with some woman um, and filming her without her knowledge or consent. Um, And we, we get the old, you know, like... Again, this is a real device of the 90, 80s and 90s where Kiefer Sutherland calls him on the phone and is like, remember to bring your video camera tonight. And we hear that coming out of the answering machine as Billy Baldwin is having sex with this woman and filming her. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then I have a specific question when we learn what his, like, quote-unquote punishment is. Um, I have yeah. a follow-up question for you about that, but sure. So anyway, um, we arrive at, like I said, old building, um, 
And well, because it's like it's an old. So they show the exterior, and the exterior. I, I was reading it like an old church, but it also looked like a church that was like under construction. There was always those. The, yeah, there were those like construction like. I think they're called Plastic horses drops or something. Yeah, they're. I think they're called oh. horses because it's like those. It's like that little triangle thing with the yellow light on top that's like blinking, saying like "Don't be here." Like that was there <laughs> on the outside. Yeah. Um, but like the exterior looked like it, I think that was that building that I said at the start, I think that was like the museum of science and industry on the outside, Mm. but Mm. then on the inside, I don't know what that was. I don't think it's the same building. Okay. Um, but yeah, it like, it's this building that supposedly is under construction or abandoned or something. But it's also super fancy and has like murals on the walls and looks like a church or a temple or something. It's very confusing. Um, That's all I got to say. Yeah, which is why I just settled on calling it old building. The old building. I Um, like it. And so they are setting up. Everyone has been convinced by Kiefer Sutherland to do this experiment. And we still, as the audience, don't know what the experiment is. Um... As the team is setting up their equipment, we, the audience, learn. Because, like, Kiefer Sutherland is having this, like, very fast dialogue where he's basically saying, like, you're going to bring me my body temperature down to 86 degrees, and then you're going to, like, stop my heart. Because, like, the key to this experiment, and I, even experiment, I feel like it's not the right word to describe this, but, like... I don't get why they're doing this. Like, um, well, clearly, like, so I think, again, the movie doesn't tell us this, but I think it can be inferred based on at least some of the people's experiences. The reason that they have all kind of come together is they all have some kind of fascination with death. And okay. so, and clearly Kiefer Sutherland is the most fascinated of all. So, you know what? I got to say... Like, I don't have the utmost trust in doctors. I don't prefer them. And if I knew that my doctor had a quote-unquote unhealthy obsession with death. You'd find a different doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would be like, uh, goodbye. Yeah. That is creepy. I mean, I I was thinking, not as I was watching this, but like afterward thinking about it. And I was like... Is this like sort of meant to be like an update on Frankenstein? Like there was something, mm. like I said, there's like this mad scientist thing is kind of a thread that at least gets the, the thing started. I'm not sure that's where it ends up, but that's where it starts. Um, so basically Kiefer Sutherland is saying that for the purpose of this experiment, he he needs to be both brain dead and heart dead. So like... His heart needs to stop. His brain needs to stop functioning entirely. And I guess Mm. they don't say this, but I think the reason that the brain death is so important is because they're trying to be able to say that whatever visions they see, if, well, and they don't know that they're going to see them yet, but like, they want to ensure that whatever experience the person who has flatlined has can't be described mm-hmm. as your brain dying. Hmm. Like that the image... 
So, like, if you brought someone's temperature down and then stopped their heart but didn't, like, how would I say it? They really want to be able to show that if the person comes back and if they say, this is the, the thing I saw on the other side, what they want mm-hmm. to be able to prove to the community of medical and scientific professionals that they would show, like, their tapes and their data to, they would say, no, the person was clinically brain dead. There was no functioning of the brain. So whatever this person saw is this was the afterlife. The afterlife. Yeah, and not just, mm. like, the final throws of a brain that is dying. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, right. Um, sure, this isn't, like, the visions you get, like, your life flashing before your eyes type right, of thing. Right, Like, because, yeah. like, yeah, I think that's... They're stupid. A, well, I mean, first of all, the, the very... <laughs> the whole way they've done this experiment is, like, even if they did generate useful data, no, everyone would be like, this is not according to any of the expected procedures, so your data is worthless. Like... It seems, yeah, it seems very, like, I know nothing about science and how to conduct a, an experiment and have, like, you know, whatever the qualifications are. But it seemed very shoddy, even to yeah. me. <laughs> well, and especially, like, the other thing is, is so then Kiefer Sutherland, because he's, like, kind of the, like, leader of this band of death fiends, um, like... He's like, okay, I'll be dead for 60 seconds. Then you'll bring me back. And then I'll be famous. Like, he keeps talking about how famous he's going to be because he'll be the first person to have, like, quote-unquote, crossed over and come back sort of thing. Um, And nonetheless, they decide they're going to do this. Dave, a.k.a. Kevin Bacon, shows up right in the nick of time to, like, help them get everything prepared. Um... And then we go into the vision that Kiefer Sutherland has. Um, and I'm calling them visions because, like I said, my thesis about this movie is I don't know that what... like You this, don't think this is the afterlife? No, I don't. You think this is like the brains... So it, it, judging from the original question you're thinking of asking you think this is brains like last grip on like life's regrets or something like that maybe I mean maybe because it does seem like all the things that people see when they flatline are these particular points of yeah regret sadness this was a big mistake you know the like pain yeah like, yeah um and I'm not saying that I don't think it's the afterlife because the, I would expect the afterlife to be nicer. That's like, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. I don't know why the afterlife, the whole, let's, if the afterlife exists and it's this whole, like everything in your life that happened and every other conceivable thing in the world, why is, why are you brought to this particular moment then? Like, and is this, and, and like, is if this is all the afterlife is, is just this moment. Mm-hmm. That seems awfully, oh. you know, like 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 if not, like if Kiefer Sutherland remained dead, 
would he just be in this feedback loop of this particular vision that he's having? Yikes, that would be a shitty ass. That would suck. Yeah, so, and like, and so this movie, what I do like about this movie, uh, because it's from 1990, like now it would have to like take some kind of a weird stance one way or another. Um, But in this movie, it's like weirdly agnostic. It's like, no, we're not doing like heaven or or hell or anything like that. It's just these Mm -hmm. moments of sadness and regret that people seem to find in their life. Um, But in his case, it starts out, and it starts out looking at idyllic, like what you might imagine. There's like a beautiful field of flowers, um, and there are kids running through the field of flowers with their good pal of a dog, um, and it's a sunny day. Weirdly, the kids, these are little boys, and they weirdly had those like rhythmic gymnastic ribbons, that they were, like, running through the field with. And I was like, that's an interesting choice. Um, Oh, yeah. But so that's how it starts. And you're like, oh, like, I think what we're meant to think is, like, ah, heaven, afterlife, great, wonderful. Like, go back to your childhood days or whatever. Right. Um, But all of a sudden, the weather turns. They end up underneath this tree. um, And things start to get bad. Meanwhile, back out in the old building real world like the team is having a bit of trouble getting Nelson aka Kiefer Sutherland back from the dead um but this is where Kevin Bacon is really essential because he's like the top medical guy in their class and he manages to like revive Kiefer Sutherland mm-hmm. when they so they've successfully done this experiment according to them this has been a complete success and they're talking with each other. They're out in the street. Um, I don't know why. There's a lot of hanging out in the street in this movie. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's another thing in the 90s. I feel like people hung out in the street a lot. Well, like, and not, that sounds weird. But and like, there's one part in the movie where, like, Julia Roberts and Kevin Bacon are talking. And there's, like, they're just walking next to, like, various, like, steel beams and there's all kinds of smoke coming out like steam coming out and I wrote <laughs> I wrote down in my notes I was like why do they live in an industrial park like I'm like well, it was it was quite industrial the whole movie like even the fact that they're doing this experiment in like a construction site yeah like yeah. it it was very industrial and like stark looking. Yeah, well, and then of course as well because it's the '90s. Like every anytime you can have steam, there is steam happening, and people are like <laughs> walking through steam and appearing out of the steam, and like it's <clears throat> steam in the day, steam at night, everything all the time. Um, and that's oh, wait, that just reminded. Sorry. No, go on. No, that's just, I'm just like, I was just thinking about certain visuals in this movie and things that were confusing, and it made me remember, I don't know if this is when this happened, but there was one part where Kevin Bacon is just like belaying down a wall, and like, do you remember that part? Wait. Why was he doing that? Wait, he's... he was like, he was like... Oh, <laughs> when he comes like out as of if the he was window. climbing down the building. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
What the um, hell was that? Well, that was the scene previous where he was like, where Kiefer Sutherland had come to say, please help me with my experiment. And Kevin Bacon was upset because he'd gotten expelled from school. And why he was exiting his apartment through the window, I don't entirely know. But, that was super, but his apartment, if that was his apartment building, it also looked like it was like a condemned building because I feel like there was graffiti on the yes. wall. There's graffiti. It was weird. There's graffiti on everything in this movie. And I'm not sure if it was put on the side of buildings for the purpose of the movie. Because the quite a lot mm. of them had like weird faces like painted mm. on them. Um, like, so for example, in this scene, like, they're all excited. They're out in the street. Uh, they leave Kiefer Sutherland in Kevin Bacon's car. Kevin Bacon's car, I haven't mentioned before, is an army van for some reason, like an army truck. Yeah, um, what the hell? And so the team, like, goes into some convenience store, and they're talking about, like, what's happened. And meanwhile, Kiefer Sutherland is, like, out on the street, and he seems to be having, like, a very weird experience. Like he's wrapped in a blanket. He looks quite pale and he keeps telling Julia Roberts, like, can't you hear it? Can't you hear all this stuff? And so at first, cause I hadn't seen this movie in such a long time. I was like, Oh, is the thing that happens after they come back that they like have like heightened senses or not like powers, but they've like, the world has like cracked open for them and they're going to go nuts sort of thing. Um, meanwhile, like, so, so first of all, the team who are in the weird convenience store, Julia Roberts says that she wants to go next, but Billy Baldwin beats her out by offering to be under for 90 seconds. Um, and that becomes one of the, the main themes is like, who's willing to go for longest, um, and they want to go for longer and longer. Meanwhile, out on the street, Kiefer Sutherland is just sitting alone. And then, and this is where, like, this must have been done on purpose. Because, like, the, he, we see a point of view shot from his perspective where it's, like, he's looking at the city, like, the buildings across from him. And there are, like, three different, very large, very creepy faces that have been painted onto the side of the building and they kind of even are painted with that paint that's like meant to like work with black light sort of oh okay and then there's of course quite a lot of steam rolling around <laughs> and then there's the sound of a dog like in pain like and shuffling around and it's so weird then we have the reveal like, out of the steam comes a dog. It looks to be the dog that we saw in Kiefer Sutherland's vision, only now it's got, like, a broken leg, like, a back broken leg, and it's whimpering and trying to crawl along the ground. Um, <laughs> and so that's rather concerning. Um, yeah. But, yeah, okay, that's it. Oh, so he has, like... A bit of a so this dog thing in the street kind of again causes Kiefer Sutherland to have a bit of a flashback to his vision, um, but <laughs> at the moment we don't really. That's it. That's all we know is that he's the the for him the like division between reality 
and this vision is starting to disappear. Will Kiefer Sutherland's grip on reality return? Find out next week when we continue our discussion on Flatliners. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.